I mean, those Hard are the three. I, I think you mentioned Henny, Mon- Monday. Henny I think is a good one. See if he comes back. Henny Hart and defense intensity. Those are my three keys. But up, uh, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Extra Points. Thank you for listening. So for everyone here in the WCBN studios, I'm Stephen Schuster saying good night and go blue. Keep Rivas away from the food. This has been a production of WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor. And then right back to the Hero. He will feed it to Cogliano. Cogliano but the shot on, he scores! Andrew Cogliano at the top of the far faceoff circle risks a shot that I don't think Dominic McCary saw and beats him over the left shoulder. Wolverines with another power play goal. They are back in front, 3-2. to two. Bing Crosby, wrap your troubles and dreams, take four. Castles may tumble, that's made after all. Life's really funny that way. Sang the wrong melody, we'll play it back. See what it sounds like, hey, hey. They cut out eight bars, the dirty bastard. I didn't know which eight bars he was going to cut. Why don't somebody tell me these things around here? Holy Christ, I'm going off my nuts. Uh, The last bastion of freeform. WCBN, FM, and Ava. Sounds like a bunch of left-wing hippies to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez, that mic is on. The mic's on. Oh, my God. Turn off the microphone. This is the story of Johnny Cool. It tells the tale of his life They say Johnny was meant to be And content to be mixed up in sorrow and strife He lived by the gun and by the knife Johnny Cool, Johnny Cool He lived by the gun and by the knife Johnny Cool, Johnny Cool If you were friendly to Johnny Cool You were just playing the fool They say Johnny was friend to none Friend to only one He went by this simple rule That his only friend was Johnny Cool Johnny Cool, Johnny Cool Yes, his only friend was Johnny Cool Johnny Cool, Johnny Cool Because he thought life had abused him He went on a murderous fling But he didn't know that they used him Like any old puppet on a string Johnny Cool Love never mattered to Johnny Ah, lounge music. You gotta love it. I think I'll be lounging around the bars tonight. For reasons that I won't go into, but welcome to another edition of Grey Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And we'll dispense with a couple of quick brain damage awards um, and then move on to some interesting developments over the week. 
As promised, I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about Mary Mapes' book, Truth and Duty, the Press, the President, and the Privilege of Power, uh, that goes into a very interesting recapping of the whole National Guard controversy that the Bush administration was able to capitalize on both to discredit CBS uh, and Dan Rather in particular. And by the way, the interesting connection to this is 60 Minutes 2 and this particular producer, Mary Mapes, uh, broke uh, at a certain, in a certain sense the Abu Ghraib story in coincidence with Seymour Hirsch, who of course was in the news last week, regarding uh, uh, the whole Iran um, embroglio that uh, unfortunately could lead to yet more military action in the Middle East. But we'll see. Um, and the new Harper's is out. Got some stuff from that. And also this uh, interesting controversial article that appeared in the London Review of Books called The Israeli Israel Lobby by John Mearsheimer and Stephen Wald, Walt. Uh, this article, by the way, just real quickly, was uh, in the March 23rd edition of the London Review of Books. And because of its controversial content, uh, no major American publication uh, would publish this article. This is specifically about the uh, influence that Israel has on American foreign policy. And while some of the arguments are overstated, some of the facts in it are uh, very relevant to the situation uh, the American uh, government confronts today in the Middle East. And, of course, bad news today in that uh, there was a suicide bombing in Israel, uh, the first one since Hamas has taken power. But uh, the first one that's actually happened in uh, Israel itself in quite some time, uh, and this has been largely due to the success and constraint uh, that the Palestinian political leadership has shown to some extent, so we'll get into that as well. Anyway, uh, very quickly, uh, let's give Silvio Berlusconi a brain damage award. He has obviously lost these elections in Israel, uh, Israel, Italy, very narrowly, but refuses to give up power. Um, my understanding is at last count, uh, there were some 5,000 disputed ballots, but even if all 5,000 went to Berlusconi, he still would lose the election. Why he's clinging to power or why he's insisting on a Israeli-style coalition government uh, escapes me, but uh, he's a megalomaniac um, and an egomaniac. Uh, he loves seeing himself on television. And his picture apparently is plastered around Italy, similar to the fashion in which Saddam Hussein plastered his picture around Iraq. So he gets a brain damage award for not respecting the elections. Of course, the Bush administration has remained silent on this issue because uh, Berlusconi is part of the coalition of the willing, so to speak. Uh, as I recall, Italy was the fourth largest uh, supporter of the war in Iraq in terms of troop support. The coalition of the willing, of course, is a mirage, was a mirage even back uh, when the war started. Over 90% of the soldiers involved in invading Iraq were either British or American. Uh, and, uh, of course, Spain uh, was also involved in this uh, debacle, and uh, their leader has been replaced as a result, and Spain has withdrawn from Iraq. So Italy probably in all 
likelihood will follow suit. At least this is the promise of uh, Mr. Prodi, and we'll see what happens. Obviously, Italian governments are a bit of a uh, joke to some extent. They're not terribly stable, and, uh, well, we'll see what happens. Now, real quickly, uh, just finishing up some other business. Rummy has obviously been in the news all week, um, and we'll just say, Rummy, you big dummy. And I actually have mixed opinions about Donald Rumsfeld. I think that there's no question that his management style has led to enemies in the military. A uh, interesting example, for instance, of why he uh, has uh, created enemies in Washington, for instance, was an article that appeared in the business section of the New York Times over a year ago regarding the uh, a flawed plane um, involving the C-130J cargo plane that Rumsfeld wanted to cancel. This uh, plane, by the way, is classic cost overruns. The initial cost estimates for this thing uh, were around uh, $34 million. Then they went up to $50 million. Then they went up to $60 million. And I understand that uh, sort of a fancy outfit of this uh, plane, as uh, the article notes, says some versions are edging close to $90 million dollars. Uh, and these cost predictions were made in 1995. By 98, it had risen to 50 million. Today, the cost is 66.5 million, and uh, some versions cost as much as 90 million dollars. This is made in Georgia and has created uh, enemies both within the military and Congress. Well, this is a separate issue from Rumsfeld's problem in uh, in uh, executing the war. Um, Rumsfeld is not to blame for the entire Iraq debacle. Uh, presumably, the real person that's to blame is President Bush. And I think that Mark Shields on uh, the McNeil Lehrer um, news hour several months ago put it quite well. The reason that George Bush has not accepted Donald Rumsfeld's resignation because he has offered it. So the notion... Uh, that he, I mean, the fact that he's still in power is uh, completely at George Bush, George Bush's uh, desire. And uh, Mark Shields told an interesting anecdote about a former governor of uh, Ohio who had an aide that was in all sorts of political corruption scandals and was incompetent and was pretty much typical of many of the people that uh, seemed to be in the Bush administration. And uh, he was told by his aides that he should fire the man. And uh, Jim Rhodes quoted, was paraphrasing from the story, why take the punching bag out of the gym? And, of course, what that means is that Donald Rumsfeld is the convenient punching bag. He's the scapegoat at the moment for the Iraq war. Uh, but he would uh, refuse to listen to uh, military advice from his superiors and that this memo would now leak trying to discredit the uh, generals that have spoken out. I think it's typical of how the Bush administration operates. And we've seen this in the uh, plane gate scan uh, saga that continues uh, to this day involving Scooter Libby. He, of course, is in uh, the dock because of perjury. But uh, George Bush last week, and I just covered this very briefly uh, in the show last week, but I hadn't seen the actual footage of Bush's performance at John Hopkins University because it was such typical 
nauseating, smarmy, frat boy nonsense uh, that the president does deserve to be pilloried over the coals for this uh, ridiculous idea. As he puts it, quote, I wanted to see the truth. And this is in reference to the uh, so-called declassification of this national intelligence estimate that we now know uh, was cherry-picked for, to quote an editorial from the recent New York Times, this fits the uh, pattern of Mr. Bush's original sales pitch on the Iraq war, hyping intelligence that bolstered the case and suppressing the intelligence that undercut it. In this case, Mr. Libby was authorized to talk about claims that Iraq had tried to buy uranium for nuclear weapons in Africa and not more reliable evidence to the contrary. So this notion that Mr. Bush can unilaterally declassify parts of documents um, is nonsense. And um, Congress needs to investigate this matter more thoroughly. Um, Whether they will or not uh, remains to be seen. This is basically the jurisdiction of Pat Roberts from Kansas, and he is a reliable um, shell (laughs) and cover-upper for the Bush administration's incompetence. Interestingly, regarding this executive order uh, on the declassification, I've noticed that nobody in the uh, mainstream media, and even David Korn in his discussion uh, in the most recent Nation, goes into the actual details of Mr. Bush's executive order. I'm going to go back and track down this precise date, but uh, what, is, what is interesting is that Bush uh, changed this executive order right around the time of the Iraq War. I can't remember whether it was three days before the Iraq War started or three days after. I think it was three days after, but I'm going to confirm the date on this because that's the interesting thing about this story. Um and, of course, we know that the cherry-picking uh, has been used in all sorts of other examples. Where are the weapons of mass destruction? Where are the connections to al-Qaeda regarding Saddam Hussein? And, gee, where is the democracy? Where is democracy flourishing in the Middle East? All of the public rationales that the Bush administration continues to give to the American public and the world at large about the war in Iraq is, well, quite frankly, a pile of cow dung. Um, And it continues to be so. And it is unfortunate um, that, for instance, this particular month we've seen a uh, huge increase in the number of troops killed in Iraq uh, that actually followed several months of uh, declining deaths uh, in um, Iraq, uh, attacks against American soldiers have actually declined quite a bit. But this is largely due to um, changing tactics of the insurgency. And I believe I quoted Andy, uh, Tony Korsman, who's a mainstream analyst that I uh, think is very reliable when it comes to his perspective on what's actually going on in the Middle East. He appears uh, frequently in the American media, but he also appears on the BBC radio coverage regarding the uh, Middle East and, and is a very reliable analyzer of what's going on. But in another recent uh, London review of books, this one dated uh, the April 6th of uh, 2006, Patrick Coburn, who's actually been in Iraq for quite some time, was in Iraq before the war started, uh, has been reporting from Iraq for the London review of books, and he's got a 
much different perspective on what's really going on there. So, so I would urge uh, listeners to uh, check out that publication. You can probably find it on uh, LRB. Um, dot com, I guess. And uh, Patrick Coburn, by the way, has an upcoming book that will be published uh, later this year called The Occupation, War Resistance and Daily Life in Iraq. He, of course, goes into the actual details of uh, the ongoing sectarian violence that's occurring, the death squads that are, that are rampant around Baghdad uh, that the American government cannot get under control. And he also talks a little bit about the actual facts on the ground. I wanted to read this uh, brief paragraph because I think it hits the nail on the head. Iraq is divided and the insurgency is strong, but the real reason for the collapse of Iraq is the weakness of the state. Ali Alawi, the finance minister, told me that corruption had reached Nigerian levels and that the government is just a parasitic entity living on oil revenues. It's not merely that a percentage of spending disappears into official pockets. Entire budgets vanish. The United States and Britain are trying to push Iyad Alawi forward as a sort of super minister in charge of security. But while he was prime minister in 2004-2005, the whole $1.3 billion defense budget procurement disappeared. Millions more were spent on a contract to protect the vital Kirkuk-Baji oil pipeline, but the money was embezzled. The few men hired to guard the pipeline actually turn out to be the same men who are blowing it up. Ali Alawi says that the insurgency is largely financed by oil smuggling, and 40 to 50 percent of this vast of these vast profits go to the resistance. He then goes on to talk about. Um, this this weak state, and of course we've seen that the Iraq government cannot form a government, uh, and this uh, sort of, uh, I don't know what to call it, suspended animation, <laughs> um, because it is uh, a tragic comedy at its worst. And he points out that many of the uh, national uh, people that are in these security forces are actually terrorists by night. Um, and talks about the Iraq uh, real, really breaking up. It says the U.S. has tr- turned out to be military and politically weaker than anybody expected. The real question now is whether Iraq will break up with or without an all-out civil war. And, of course, he goes into the, the uh, details in some of the provinces. He sp- specifically talks about Kirkuk and the Kurdish uh, situation. And by the way, there were massive riots there uh, several months ago uh, in which the so-called uh, memorial to the chemical weapon attack in Halabja were actually attacked by Kurdish um, people in opposition to the corruption that's going on uh, in that part of the country. Kirkuk, by the way, is is actually one of the more uh, controlled areas of Iraq, Um, but just, I'll just read this little brief thing about Kirkuk. He says, Kirkuk, beneath which lie $10 billion of oil reserves, is a prize well worth fighting for. It is also, even by Iraqi standards, a depressing and dangerous city 
sits on the plain 150 miles north of Baghdad, overlooked by a citadel whose ancient houses were wrecked by Saddam Hussein in the failed Kurdish uprising in 95. There are heaps of rubbish everywhere. Despite the oil revenues, there are mile-long queues of vehicles waiting to get petrol. Shops are small and mean. In the center of a city, a cluster of dilapidated markets stalls sell fruit and bread. Quote, Kirkuk is a ruin. It is the most ruined city in Iraq, a Kurdish official said with bitter pride as we drove over, over the city. Over the past 50 years, the Kurds have been systematically expelled from Kirkuk. After 91, a full-scale program of ethnic cleansing began. Between 120,000 and 200,000 Kurds and Turkmens were forced from their homes by Saddam Hussein. That, of course, uh, these are factual. This is factual analysis. This is not trying to portray Saddam Hussein in some uh, cheerful light. This is the reality of what's going on in Iraq today. And Patrick Coburn is able to actually travel around the uh, country because of his contacts in all uh, phases of the society. Um, very different, by the way, from many American journalists that, uh, well, we'll say that they're embedded uh, with the military. And, of course, the military is the problem. Um, it, we are, in, 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 in a sense, trying to sort out a civil war that we can't. And if these reports of these actual security forces, uh, people in the military that actually dress up as military during the day and become terrorists at night, something which should not surprise us. I mean, the, the, the violence in, in Iraq uh, is religious. These militias that have killed um, literally thousands of people in the last couple of months, I mean, it's, it's staggering when you begin looking at, the, uh, at how bad it really is. So this idea that progress is being made in Iraq is uh, pure nonsense. Uh, there is no pro uh, progress. There's basically a lot of uh, incompletes uh, to uh, make a reference to upcoming finals for U of M students. Um, but it's not going to turn out well for the United States regardless. And, of course, uh, interestingly today, um, oil prices hit an all-time high. Um, this is partly because of this continuing um, kabuki drama between the president of Iran, who is a complete moron, and uh, the president of the United States, who's a complete fool. Whether Iran is actually developing a nuclear weapon or not, <laughs> or not is anybody's guess. It's interesting when you listen to the BBC call-in show on Sunday night, the 4 o'clock a.m. show, People around the globe, while they don't defend the Iranian regime, uh, point out that uh, the president of Iran is not in charge of the military. Uh, the religious mullahs are. They are relatively conservative. They have no interest in promoting a war with uh, the United States. And Ahmad Ahmadinejad, his, his ridiculous rhetoric is part of the problem, but he's uh, issuing it for domestic consumption purposes. Um, the notion that they're going to attack Israel is uh, ludicrous. Once again, it's like Iraq. They don't have the capability to do such a thing. Israel is by far the most powerful military power in the Middle East at the moment. Uh, of course, leaving aside the notion that America is now a military power in the Middle East. Certainly, we have uh, hundreds of thousands of troops there. 
And certainly uh, our uh, reason for being there is uh, related to oil. I'm reminded once again, if you want to check out the top 10 oil entities in the world, I'll just read these countries uh, because it tells the tale and it explains why America is actually in Iraq. Uh, these are reserves, oil reserves, as the at, at the end of 2003, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Russia, Iraq, Qatar, Kuwait, Venezuela, Abu Dhabi, Nigeria, and Algeria. America is nowhere to be found on that top ten list. And given the fact that we consume over 7 billion barrels of oil annually, uh, and this, by the way, is, is it was an article about Russian uh, oil state-owned oil companies, and at the very highest total, America has less than four years of total reserves. I mean, this is why we import two-thirds of our oil. This is why we have a trade deficit. This is why the military is in the Middle East. Uh, part of the reason is simply access to oil. And, of course, uh, there have been all kinds of problems recently in Nigeria with respect to security. There have been attacks on the facilities there. There's sectarian violence going on there. We have terrible relations with Venezuela. And uh, since Iraq uh, finishes fourth and the Soviet Union, while uh, the Cold War may be over, continues to obviously be a bit of a rival of ours in the region uh, as they're trying to uh, pull the chestnuts out of the fire of Iran's predicament, so to speak. Um, well, <laughs> this is the truth. Now, <clears throat> real quickly... Uh, since I've sort of jumped around a little bit here. Um, I, I don't even think I'm going to have time to get to Rather uh, rather Gate, but I'll, I'll just talk about this uh, London Review of Books article uh, because it's generating a lot of controversy. And in fact, I noticed yesterday in the uh, Sunday edition of the New York Times there was an ad on the back page of the editorial page uh, with a chart showing, um, and this is an ad that just basically argues... Uh, you know, isn't it time to make peace? There's a chart showing um, data and the sources for this, because um, I won't promote the organization. It's basically a one of these Washington think tank groups, uh, a lobbying group, so to speak. Um, the sources for the uh, ad on, on, on this particular fact are the IDF, which are the uh, Israeli uh, Defense Forces, the PRCS, and an organization called Remember These Children. And they have Palestinian children killed since the Second Intifada, 719. Israeli children killed, 82. Total killed, 3,858 Palestinians. Total Israelis, 1,084. Total injured, nearly 30,000 Palestinians and 7,600 Israelis. And the uh, ad uh, just basically asks, isn't it time for peace? And they go into the uh, problems of the continuing um, settlement issue and all of the oh, the, the really messy uh, politics uh, involving the, the, both the Israeli government and the Palestinians and have various quotes. But the one of these uh, controversial argues, argue, articles that have raised plenty of uh, 
Oh, I don't know. There's been a whispering campaign here in the United States about these two intellectuals, John Mearsheimer and Stephen Walt. By the way, I, I read an outstanding book by John Mearsheimer about the uh, Iraq War. Um, he is a professor of political science at the University of Chicago. And the book that I read is The Tragedy of Great Power Politics. Stephen Walt is a uh, professor at the Kennedy School of Government. Anyway, they uh, recently published an article in the London Review of Books that no major American publication would dare publish. And this is basically about the power of the Israel lobby. Now, in the edition that came after this, the uh, critics, of course, came in and started talking about anti-Semitism and started attacking these intellectuals about the Jewish lobby. Uh, They don't talk about the Jewish lobby. They talk about the Israel lobby, and there is a difference. And uh, what troubles them, and they write, the thrust of U.S. policy in the region, the Middle East, derives most entirely from domestic politics and especially the activities of the Israel lobby. Other special interest groups have managed to skew foreign policy, but no lobby has managed to divert it as far from the national interest that would suggest, while simultaneously convincing Americans that U.S. interests and those of another country, in this case Israel, are essentially identical. Since the 73 October war, Washington has provided Israel with a level of support, dwarfing that to any other state. It has given $140 billion in 2004 dollars. Israel receives $3 billion in direct uh, assistance each year, roughly one-fifth of it the American foreign aid budget. And each Israeli receives $500 per person. Um, It then goes into this interesting fact. Washington also provides Israel with consistent diplomatic support. Since 1982, the U.S. has vetoed 32 Security Council resolutions critical of Israel, more than the total number of vetoes cast by all other Security Council members combined. Um... It then goes on to talk about this uh, nebulous uh, um, connection between the uh, Israel lobby, APAC specifically, and what happens with respect to our foreign policy in the region. Um, I think that the criticism of this article, real quickly as we're winding up, and we'd like to thank Nathan for engineering once again. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Tex Mannheim will be um, saddling up down there in the, in the blues uh, show, Yazoo City Calling, which is coming up next. So we'll just uh, pick up where uh, we left off this week with this article and talk more about the content of this uh, particular controversial article. Uh, do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling is coming up next. And I guess I'll just read this bizarre item uh, in in honor of the fact that Easter just passed. This is from the Harper's Index. It says, The estimated number of marshmallow peeps that will be consumed around Easter this month, 800 million. Estimated number of pigs who died to make them, 125,000. Man, is that scary. And the Harper News had an article about a peep. Easter egg peep, marshmallow peeps, whatever the heck they're called, art contest that uh, figured prominently in their coverage in the newspaper yesterday. So I figured I'd read that 
for a variety of reasons. So do t- uh, stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling coming up next right here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Saying I had to go You know I'm crazy about you, baby I'm gonna miss you so Yes, yes, yes It's well understood But while I'm gone I want you to watch your step If you can't be good 